our Bible reading tonight is from James chapter 3 and 4. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Thanks, Nikki. It's lovely to be with you all here in Kirrawee and online. If you're meeting with us online today, hope you had a great New Year and a happy Christmas. My name's Stuart. Uh, Ethan pointed out to me that it's been about three months since I've preached at Saturday night, so if anybody's forgotten who I am or you haven't met me yet, uh, my name's Stuart. It's nice to be here. Um, <laughs> I thought it might be great if we begin by praying, so would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're warned here today not to... Um, take too lightly the words we say, that they have incredible eternal consequences. We know and we ask, Lord God, that uh, in our weakness to be able to control our tongues, that you would give us strength and potential to use our tongues in a good way that serve and honour you instead of putting down others and building ourselves up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was a young youth leader, I started out uh, as someone who didn't really have any experience I hadn't been at university very long, probably a year, and when I got to university in my first year, I actually started to think, I don't think I know anything. I don't know if any of you who start a new course ever feel like that. But I was in the middle of that kind of uh, zone, and I was about 18 and a half when someone at church came up to me and said, um, would you like to come to a youth leader course? And I said, a youth leader course? I'm not even a youth leader. And they said, well, this might be a good taste of it to see if you'd like to become a youth leader. So I went away on this Anglican youth department course. And that was back in the day before what we now call YouthWorks, which is a terrific organisation in the Anglican church. Uh, the preceding group before that was the Department of uh, Youth Ministry. And they were running this course and I went along. There wasn't anybody else from my church who went, so I was a little bit uh, nervous. But some of you who know me know I'm a bit extroverted and I can talk underwater so I thought to myself well surely I'll make a friend or two and so here I go packing my bags off off in the car drove off to this little uh, course that I went to in the Blue Mountains of all places some of you know how much I love the Blue Mountains and I was up there in the Blue Mountains and I was there I drove up in my little beetle I had a little orange tangerine beetle 
and I nearly had carbon monoxide poisoning on the way up because the muffler was broken and the uh, air conditioner I thought was bringing in a bit of heat into the car was actually slowly poisoning me. <laughs> but I survived that and I got to the Blue Mountains. And when I got out of the car, a little bit groggy, uh, met my first group of people who were quite friendly. Uh, they were a group of surfers. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, unaware of the beach. I'd grown up in Southern Shire. I surf, but I wouldn't call myself a surfer. I've never been that good. Does anybody else know what I mean by that? Do you understand? Like, you can do something like surfing, but not so well that you would call yourself a surfer. One of the reasons I don't call myself a surfer is uh, it's absolutely impossible for myself to tan. Now, because I'm not a surfer, I have a little bit of a, um, oh, what would you say, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder at the age of 18 and a half. I tried desperately to become a surfer, but my skin actually meant that I could never be a surfer. Because I would go to Kirrawee High School in Year 7, and uh, back, this is back in the 80s, and back in the day when men wore shorts properly, young fellas, take note, I don't know how you wear your shorts these days, but I think uh, regulation magnum shorts from 1984 would probably be the best way a man can wear a pair of shorts, above the knees. But back in the early 80s, it was right up halfway up the thighs, like Magnum on. Does anyone know what Magnum is? Hands up if you've seen an episode of Magnum. Do yourself a favour, young people. Go on YouTube. Anyway, so there I am, getting out of my car with my regulation stubbies on, and I've got these uh, lovely white legs, two, two little cricket stumps sticking out of these shorts, walking in, to walk up to a group of surfers. And they're all standing there in the driveway, nonchalantly as only surfers can with that devil-may-care attitude, that, that sort of humble, uh, humble, humble arrogance, I'd like to call it. They're not really arrogant, but they kind of look down on anyone who can't surf. Kind of, I don't think they consciously do, surfers. All my, I love lots of friends here who are surfers. Maybe you could tell me later if there's a little bit of that. But anyway, there I am with my little cricket stump legs, um, day-night cricket stumps. Back in the 80s, I used to paint the stumps white sometimes, they were my legs. And they had different legs. You see, half of their legs were, oh, jet brown, beautiful, dark tan. And the top halves of their legs were almost as white as mine, but not quite. What does that signify, everyone? Can anyone work out what that, that little visual there, right there, says everything about someone? What does that signify? If someone's got a tan mark that starts halfway down their thigh, does anyone give me an answer? Wetsuit. You see? I was intimidated from the get-go. And you know one of those rat bags drove a combi van? I thought my Beetle was fantastic, but he had a real surfer's car. He had a combi van. Anyway, I walked up and they looked at me in that sort of semi-dismissive, kind of half-detached manner. This bloke's probably a good bloke, but he doesn't surf. Cool, he's different. Bit of a foreigner amongst us. And I walked up and I said, hi, how are you going? And they said, good, where are you from? I said, the Shire. They said, do you surf? I said, no because you can't pretend to be a surfer to surfers. Did I have a surfboard? Yes. Had I been surfing that weekend? Yes. Was I a surfer? No. And I had this theory, you see, that every youth minister of Guymer Anglican Church were all surfers ever since we started. And so I couldn't even be a youth leader without being a surfer. So I just had this thing, this kind of chip on my shoulder. I should have just let it go. It wasn't important. You can see what I'm doing here. I'm building up to suggest that this is more my problem. But what I'm going to say is, like me, sometimes you might be vulnerable to certain comments, that I'm vulnerable to certain comments. Do you get vulnerable to certain comments? 
I'm giving you a bit of background, not just so I can talk about myself, I'm giving you a bit of a background so I can get you to think about, you might not have a problem with your not being able to create a wetsuit mark on your leg, because by the way, if you haven't already joined the dots, when you have white skin like this and you sit in the sun, you burn, you don't tan. And it's terrible. To such an extent, actually, that one of my aunties, Auntie, um, uh, Auntie Eileen, she's going to be with the Lord now. She used to let us call her Nan, which was wonderful. She was sitting with me in Dubbo, and she looked at me one day, and she's a full-blood Aboriginal lady, and she looked at me, she said, I don't know why we call you white fellas, white fellas. We should call you pinkies. I said, why is that? She said, you're pink. Look at you. In the middle of, middle of winter, you're, you've got a sunburn from sitting out in Dubbo. I said, I know, it's dreadful. And she put her beautiful black hand on mine, and she held my hand, and she said, don't you wish you had some of this? beautiful black skin and I said yes and I could be a surfer <laughs> she didn't understand what I meant that was a strange concept to her but anyway so there I am with the surfers and one of the guys thought look I'm going to take this cricket stump leg guy under my arm you obviously can't get a wetsuit mark he's not a surfer but we can bring him into the group so we do this thing it actually was great it was a really good weekend I had a really good time with those guys and I actually became lifelong memory lifelong friends with two of those guys which was lovely, and they're very good friends of mine to this day. But one session we were in, we're sitting in a session, and this is the point of my story for today's sermon. We're sitting in a session, and one of the boys, after getting to know me over the weekend, it's one, like one of the final sessions, they had a feedback time where they were, we're all supposed to say something about each other. And everyone was saying nice things about each other. Have you ever been in one of those kind of sessions? It's a little bit awkward, but, you know, everyone's saying, oh, so-and-so, he's really good at encouraging everyone. So-and-so, she's terrific at whatever, blah-blah. Got to me. And this one guy who I'd met on the car park on the first day said, I've got something I want to say to Stuart, but I want to say it to him privately. I said, okay, that's a bit heavy. So we go outside and he said, Stuart, I have something to tell you. And I said, okay. He said, you've got a problem. And it wasn't the problem I thought I had, which was cricket stump legs. He said, Stuart, you have a problem, but you're not going to own it until you discover it yourself. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> I kid you not. 18 and a half years old, already super insecure. I'm just like, wow. Are you serious? Can't you give me a hint? No, you won't own it. You'll only own your problem if you discover it yourself. Do you know what? Nearly 10 years later, I saw him at a conference. I'm nearly 28. I'm married. I was a bit older, actually, because Ethan was on the way. So 30 years old. I see him at a conference. I go up to my friend and I said to him, you remember that camp we first met? He said, yeah. He said, do you remember what you said to me? He said, no. <laughs> I said, okay. Help me, I'll help you jog your memory. You said to me that I had a problem, but unless I discovered it for myself, I would never really own it. He said, did I? That's a strange thing to say. <laughs> and I said to my friend, I've been living thinking there's something wrong with myself for the last 12 years. I thought there's something wrong with me. He said, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a top bloke. That's the power of the tongue, isn't it? Now, I'm not going to go into detail on how that shaped my life, but I didn't take up some opportunities because I thought there was something wrong with me. I actually didn't relax at all in the last 12 years of that comment because I always at the back of my mind thought there was something wrong with me and I didn't know what it was. Do you ever have any experiences that are similar to that? 
Have people said something to you that has defined how you see yourself? Have you been at school, kids, in primary school? Are kids nice or are they sometimes mean? What do you reckon? What about girls on the lounge? What do you girls reckon? Can sometimes people be a bit mean? Maybe not at your school. What about teenagers? Have you experienced mean words from people? Sometimes it's a little bit harsher than what happened to me. I was getting off the school bus in Year 9 and we were going to squash and it was the middle of winter and I get off the school bus and two pretty girls got off in front of me. Guess what? They had beautiful tans, by the way. They get off the bus. Sorry, you're going to probably think I've got a hang-up still. I am over that. I'm actually okay with my skin now. But I get off the bus and two pretty girls are in front of me and one of the girls says to the other girls, "Um, did you see Stuart's nose? And the other girl goes, no. And she goes, just have a look. And she turns around and she goes, oh, like that. And I'm like, oh. And she's like, it's so red. Every cold day his nose goes red. She said, I'd just die if I had a nose like that. Now, do you know how I responded to that? Ha, 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 that's funny, isn't it? That's what you do. That's what Australians do. But you know what Australians are really good at? We're really good at telling people the truth with a joke. And then if someone gets upset about it, you go, oh, I'm just joking, come on. Or even worse, that's how I like to build friendships with someone, by paying them out. And that's okay. Sometimes a payout can be a good thing, but sometimes it can leave a legacy. Like the comment from my other friend, I actually spent, a, just thankfully this time, just a couple of years thinking I was never going to have a girlfriend or get married. Not that you have to get married, and plenty of people here aren't married. It's great being single. But I thought members of the opposite sex would never ever even be friends with me because I had a red nose. Why have I got a red nose when it's cold? Probably because I've got white skin and it's really white and it's like bright. That's probably why. And there's nothing I can do about that because that's how God made me. Well, this is why James says, be so careful how you speak to each other. Christian, it is actually evidence of your faith if you don't do that sort of thing. But unfortunately, I hear in churches almost the same degree of nasty talk in the church as I hear outside of the church. Now, my experience in the church might be extreme, but I have been a leader in the church, but I've actually suffered more condemnation in the church than I've even suffered from people outside the church. Christians, we can sometimes spiritualise our condemnation because we get upset or we get hurt or we get angry or because we feel threatened by someone. Have you ever been in a Bible study when a group of people are praying and someone says, I have a prayer point about so-and-so. Let's say it's Monica. I have a prayer point about Monica. And everyone leans forward. Yeah, what's the prayer point? Hmm, Stroke their chins. (laughs) And also, actually, I don't have anything to say about Monica because she's only sinned twice in her whole life. I've seen both those sins, but that's a pretty good record, Monica. So let's give Monica a round of applause for only sinning twice. See, in James chapter 3, James warns us about this issue of the tongue. And interestingly, what he does is he starts off in verse 1 and 2 and he says, not many of you should rush into teaching roles because you all have a problem. The problem you all have is the same as non-Christian people have. The Christians in the church have a problem with controlling their tongue. In fact, he goes on a little bit later and says, in fact, no one can control their tongue. All of us have a problem. We can't control our tongues. 
Now, what is going on here, and I hope this sermon in the next three points quickly, in the next 15 minutes, is going to unpack for you what the problem with the tongue is. But the first is that the tongue has a potential for condemnation. Secondly, that even though we are Christians, sometimes we let truth and falseness come out of the same place. And thirdly, we really need to stop judging and boasting about ourselves and actually submit to God. So briefly, let's go through that. First of all, James says, if anyone thinks that he or she is religious but doesn't bridle their tongue, deceives their heart and this person's religion is worthless. Remember in chapter 2 when uh, James was saying faith without deeds is dead? Well, here's a good example of a deed that illustrates the state of your heart. If you are able to speak nicely and be someone who builds other people up, then that is evidence of your Christian transformation in Christ because when a person becomes a Christian, they actually get given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit changes them on the inside and the inside person now speaks and uses their tongue differently to the way they used to speak. So if you do find yourself using your tongue in a good way, it's because you've been transformed by God. The writer says here, interestingly, the first thing he says in talking about the tongue though, he says teachers have a high accountability for their words because obviously they're Christian teachers and they're going to be held to a stricter level of compliance. So he says there, um, not many people should actually seek, or actually he doesn't say not many, he says be careful that you um, become a teacher because teachers will be judged more strictly. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that the whole, uh, that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, in, I was just thinking about this this week. In the last 50 years of my Christian walk, I became a Christian when I was about five, so I've been a Christian a long time. I've heard many sermons on this passage over that uh, 50 years, and every time a preacher gets up, like I'm doing today, to talk about the tongue and talk about warning people that teachers would be judged more strictly, they often talk about themselves as preachers and they talk about the ministers. And particularly when I wasn't a minister and particularly when I was young, I used to go, oh great, this is a really good theoretical sermon today. I get to think about how I can be careful uh, to um, not rush into a teaching ministry, but I'm not a teacher at the moment, so I'm okay. But what I want to say today is I actually think this isn't just a verse for preachers because the controlling of a tongue is for all of us and when you think about there are formal and informal teaching opportunities in every church would you agree with that do you think that makes sense formal and informal teaching opportunities in every church if you go back to James chapter 1 verse 19 and 26 James says back there if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless also, we are encouraged to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And right back in the Old Testament, the teaching was the same. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17, teachers were actually described as people have to control their mouths. Son of man, I've made you a watchman over the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Um, but you have to give an account for yourself as you warn others. I am clear from the blood of all, for I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus warns against teaching as a form of power. Now, this is a really important point. In the Christian church and in the Old Testament as well, 
God always inverts power relationships. So, for example, in the Old Testament, the king was not meant to lord it over everybody. The king was meant to look after the poor and be a servant of all. So the idea of being a leader in the Christian church is the same thing. And Jesus warns in Matthew 22, 23 that many leaders in his time, the people of Israel had leaders, and he says they're in it for their power. And they want to be teachers so they look good and other people are controlled and actually condemned by them. Now, I don't want to be too harsh on my friend, but he would have done well to read Matthew 23 when he first, before he came and spoke to me at that camp. Because what he thought he was doing, I think, that day was just trying to be wise. He was trying to be helpful, I'm sure, but he didn't realise that his attempts at leading and teaching me could condemn me to 12 years of feeling bad about myself. He thought he was being a good teacher and a good leader, but he also used it as a, uh, as a thing of power. By saying you have a problem, but I know what it is and you don't know what it is and you won't actually know what it is until you discover it yourself, means that for the next 12 years, I am going to have power over you. And he did. I didn't even speak to him for most of that 12 years, but hardly a week went by when I didn't think of him. Isn't that a terrible exercise of Christian teaching? He wasn't a minister, he wasn't a preacher, he was just a young youth leader. So you can see, can't you, that when James is talking here in chapter 1, he's not just talking to pastors who are up the front preaching, but all the different teachers in the congregation. Now in 1 Corinthians 12:28, Paul says that there are many roles that people have in the church that are formal and informal. Now, we see that a little bit in our church. So, Ethan was up here a minute ago. That was a kind of teaching that he did, wasn't it? Can anyone think of something Ethan said or have you already gone on from that? What was one thing Ethan said? Can anyone remember? This is hard, isn't it? Saturday night. Can anyone think? He led us in confession. There you go. So, what did he do when he led us in confession? And what did he say when he explained confession? Yeah, it's not for us, it's with us. What else did he say? We fall short of God's glory. What else did he say? What did the prayer say? Was there any hope in that? Anything good? The gospel was in that, that you get forgiven if you confess your sins to God. So that was teaching. Kind of, wasn't it? It wasn't preaching. He didn't take a passage like I'm doing now and unpack it for everybody. But he's a teacher. Can I say all our youth leaders are teachers? All our Bible study leaders are teachers? All, you, you can even be in a service team like in hospitality and do dinner and be a teacher. How many people have been taught over dinner by a fellow Christian who doesn't actually have an official role in the church? In fact, in some way, all Christians are teachers. And in our church, we celebrate the fact that we have teaching across everything. The only example where God says that there's one thing he wants a certain group of people to do is just the preaching in the pulpit from the service where he says in 1 Timothy 2 that I don't permit a woman to preach but that's the only time he says anything about men and women and the rest of the whole church is about everybody teach everybody but what he says in 1 Timothy 2 is the reason that we have men preach in the pulpit is because Adam dropped the ball in the Garden of Eden and so all men need to remember that they can't drop the ball and there needs to be an example to them so that they can actually teach the gospel in a way that doesn't just advocate their responsibility to someone else. 
And the idea of that is that if I'm preaching up here tonight, I reckon Nick's sitting back there thinking, yeah, I can't just leave the kids to Kath. I can't just get her to pray with them. I can't just get her to teach them. I've got to teach them too. So what we do in the church is other than preaching, everybody's a teacher, but the problem is teachers have tongues. And the problem with tongues is that they are an evil-ridden device. (laughs) James is pretty brutal on the tongue. Look what he says there. He says it's like we can't control them just like a big ship has a small rudder and, and, and the pilot makes the whole ship go, a tongue can be like that and can set the course of our whole life. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Hands up if you've ever made false boasts. Okay, not everybody's quite ready at that moment, but I reckon there's good, good chances of more than that, more than that <laughs> actually made some false boasts. Likewise, a tongue's small part of the body makes small great boasts, but consider it like a forest fire like set off by a small spark you know you know we live in australia right how many times does a small fire get started by some uh, criminal who just lights a little bush and all of a sudden a whole state can catch on fire we'll consider adolf hitler he set the whole world on fire just by speeches that he was making in some beer hall in munich my favorite theologian of all time is a, a german theologian called bonhoeffer and bonhoeffer tried to cancel out his tongue, Hitler's tongue, with his tongue. And he would make great efforts to teach the gospel. But you can see what I'm talking about. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself set on fire by the fire of hell. In a Munich beer hall, a man said that Christianity is Jewish and Jews are bad, so all Jews and all Christians should be stopped. And then he went about trying to kill all the Jews. And I think after he'd done with that, he probably would have killed all the Christians that hadn't committed themselves to Nazism as well. The tongue is an incredibly powerful piece of corruption. Sets the whole of your life on fire and itself set on fire by the flames of hell. Now, if everyone's feeling a little bit uh, negative, thinking it's 25 past you and this is starting to sound heavier than lighter, isn't it? Don't you sort of go up at the end of your sermons and make me feel a bit better? I just want the weight of it just to hang around for a little bit so we just consider what costly grace is. Have you heard of that phrase? In fact, Bonhoeffer, who I mentioned earlier, had a phrase called uh, costly grace and cheap grace. He said he didn't like cheap grace. He didn't like people becoming Christians thinking that they're pretty good people and God was forgiving their sins and letting them go into heaven. Bonhoeffer, like Luther before him, who was another great German, Uh, leader of our church and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Luther and putting 15 ideas up on a wall actually on a door in in uh, Wittenberg Bonhoeffer and Luther both said you need to understand what a sinner you are before you truly love Jesus remember the prostitute who came into the the dinner hall when Jesus was reclining at the table and she broke a jar of expensive perfume and anointed his feet with perfume And then she wiped his feet clean with her hair and cried on his feet. You know those wicked, evil, power-hungry religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees? They were judging Jesus, going, if he knew who that woman was, he wouldn't let her touch his feet. But Jesus says, he he or she who is forgiven much, what? Does anyone remember? He or she who is forgiven much, loves much. And Bonhoeffer says, if we don't understand how evil the world can be and how evil human beings can be, then 
we won't understand what great cost it was for God to send his son to die for us so that we could be forgiven. See, we can't tame our tongues unless we've got help to tame our tongue. And the problem with our tongue when we're a Christian is we can still use it in verse 9 to praise our Lord and Father with it and curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And that's why Christians say it's a good idea to try and not to swear. Have you heard Christians talk, talk like that? Like sometimes I let my guard down a little bit and ever since I was a young youth minister, Jai McMorty would come up and punch me on the arm if he heard me swear. And I'm like, Jai, that's a little... This, he was a new Christian. He was only a Christian for six months when he decided to do this. But when Jai became a Christian, he went from a potty mouth to someone who never swore again. And in the last 30 years, I've never heard our minister, who's one of our ministers here, Jai McMorty, ever swear. But when he hears me swear, to this day, he still goes, oh. Do you know why? He says, because cursing, cursing and praise can't come out of the same mouth, Stuart. Salt water and fresh water can't come out of the same mouth. So we need to really bring our tongue under control. So how do we do that? Uh, verse 13, who is wise among you? Let them show it by a good life and by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And in this case, let them speak with wisdom. But if you have a bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So in other words, we kind of need to change from people who give ourselves permission to harbour bitterness and selfishness to people who let that go and forgive. Because we're so thankful, we know ourselves how wicked we can be with our tongues. We know we're forgiven because we use our tongues in such a terrible way. So we actually don't actually judge other people too bad because we've been forgiven so much, we actually lighten up on other people. So here's the thing, if you want to use your tongue with wisdom and use it well, lighten up on others. Don't judge them so harshly. And I think that's at a very deep way one of the biggest problems in the Christian church for centuries. That we look at other Christians and go, oh, those over there. Just like the Pharisees at the party when the prostitute came in and cleaned Jesus' feet with perfume and her own tears, what was the response of the religious leaders? They judged her and they used their tongues to destroy her character. If that man knew what she was, she, he wouldn't be letting her touch his feet. It's the tongues that actually were trying to set a spark against her to set her life on fire. And Jesus actually said for them to just be quiet. I know who she is. And in fact, I'm going to use my tongue in the reverse. And Jesus always used his tongue in the reverse. You look at the scriptures, every time you see Jesus speaking, it's actually the best lesson on how to use your tongue all the time. He used lots of scripture and he's always building people up. I'm sure he had ideas on how he can tear people down and sometimes he judged the Pharisees, he called them a brood of vipers, but when it's this woman who has come to love him in such a way, he says that she loves me more than you do, basically. And she would have felt pretty good about herself that day. Here's these men who were controlling their world, the patriarchy as some people call it, and Jesus smashed it. He said, don't you judge her, by different standards that, than that you have. You have cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer would say. She has what's called costly grace. She knows who she is, she knows she's been forgiven, and she's so thankful of who she's become that she stopped judging other people. So today, Christian, if you want to use your tongue in a good way, stop judging other people. 
because in verse 15 wisdom doesn't come from down from heaven but is sorry such wisdom that judges people does not come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual and demonic for where you have envy or selfish ambition there you'll find disorder and every evil practice so if we complain and put each other down thinking that's the best way to build a strong church will produce the opposite fruit we will only build a good church if we build others up wisdom comes from heaven is peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest as righteousness now i have two friends at the moment who had a bit of an argument last weekend and they had an argument over text See, the tongue doesn't actually always have to come out audibly. Sometimes you can use text. The tongue's kind of got very technical and it's got really um, technologically advanced because now it uses social media. So once upon a tongue time, the tongue could only... <laughs> once upon a tongue, the, the time could only <laughs> influence the people who could hear it speaking. Now it can influence the whole world. So if this stuff was true before social media, how much more is it true now? Well, I, there were two friends of mine that I've got who were both Christians that had a disagreement last weekend and both got stuck into each other. And all their chips on the shoulder got put into the text. Every chip they had on their shoulder was just like, you were this, you were that, then the other person went back, you were this, you were that. And actually, some F-bombs were released in those texts as well. But during the week, both those friends of mine actually gave me a ring and said, I'm feeling terrible about what I texted this other person. And I think I'm going to ring the other person and apologise. And I said, oh, why did you want to talk to me about it? And they said, oh, because you're our pastor. Well, each of them said independently, you're our pastor. I'm like, okay, it's cool. You know what? It's none of my business. I reckon you guys can do it. I reckon you can fix it up. So they texted each other and said, can we get together? And they both said, sorry over text. See, tongue's actually also good at using technology to build up as well not just tear down see what happened is they submit themselves to god and the fight and the quarrel that they had is overcome by the wisdom and the fruit of verse 17 and 18 can i encourage you that with your tongue it's really simple even if you're frustrated and tired don't use that as an excuse to use your tongue to hurt other people by all means, tell other people when you're sad or when you're angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. As best as you can, be a, a peacemaker with your tongue, because if you sow in peace, you'll reap a harvest. Give mercy to each other. Be submissive to each other. That doesn't mean be a doormat, but if someone tries to love you and say sorry, don't go, oh, well, that, you've just done it one too many times, I'm not going to forgive you. By the way, if someone's hurting you, you don't have to go back into the relationship with them. You can forgive them and not go back and trust them again. But if we can forgive each other, there's more about that helping us to actually move on than you would believe. If you can get to a point where you can forgive someone and move on, doesn't mean you're going to be in a relationship with them again and trust them again, but you can actually be a peacemaker and be full of mercy. But remember this, just to finish in verse 6, that God opposes the proud and shows favour to the humble. So most importantly, verse 7, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. A little bit later on, he says this, 
There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you who, but who are you to judge your neighbour? My little theory tonight that I want to leave you with is almost all of us are teachers here. And at the beginning of the passage, it's warning us to be careful because we'll be judged more strictly if we teach. Because if we teach other people to have power over them and use our tongues in the wrong way, we could condemn and destroy someone's life. But if we submit to God, realise the power of our tongues and understand that we are not the judge but God is, it actually frees us from having to judge other people all the time. And I'm going to leave us with this little example. When you're in the playground at school, whether it be high school or primary school, probably lost all the kids by now, it's a long sermon. But if you are listening, if you're at school and someone says, I think that person's stupid, I think they're horrible, don't talk to them. What do you do, Christian? Adults can answer this question as well. Because sometimes that happens at work too, doesn't it? Or in families or in all sorts of adult relationships. Oh, don't talk to that person, they're stupid. What do you say when someone says that? Well, at the very least, you don't join in. Don't put petrol on the fire. At the best, if you've got enough energy, try and imagine to yourself, how could you be a peacemaker? What you can do over dinner is take that little story and I'd love for you to share with each other what would you do in that situation? Oh, that person's stupid. What do you do? I was putting on a funny American voice there, or was trying to, if you didn't know where the accent was coming from, trying to be Californian. Oh, stupid. I don't think it was very Californian. No, everyone's saying it wasn't. Have a think about that over dinner tonight. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this time together that you warn us uh, that as Christians, that when we are teaching others, that we aren't to do that lightly. Lord God, heaven forbid that anyone would cause another Christian to spend 12 years worried about their self just because of something they said. Or heaven forbid someone would judge someone else just because of the colour of their skin or their ability to have a tan or not have a tan, to, be, uh, to have any sort of racial differences or backgrounds. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be a people who judge people according to the colour of their skin or that we wouldn't judge other people because we look down on them, but we would actually be a people who will build others up, be peacemakers, that we follow you and you will judge. So, Lord, help us to feel free from the need to judge others so quickly. Help us to be humble before you, Lord God, and as a result, be humble towards each other and lift each other up to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.